I want you to take the time to think this morning before we get into Ecclesiastes. And I wonder whether there are people here today and you've got to make a big decision. It is a difficult decision. It could be a a major life roads decision. And you're not quite sure which way to go. It could be something less dramatic than that, but still you're very puzzled and you're not sure what to do. You're agonizing over it. You're praying about it. You can see it one way and almost convince yourself and then immediately you can almost see it the other way. And if you look at your bulletin, inside your bulletin, I've actually put a little box. And I'd like you to take the time to maybe write down what is that decision, what is that issue that you're wrestling over. I'm going to give you uh, some time to commit to thinking about what that decision is. Would you do that? Get a pen? Write out what is that decision. Your business, or if your own career, or maybe it's about a relationship, or maybe it's about where you live. I wonder why is it so hard to make this decision? My guess is that it probably involves some sort of sacrifice. You've got to give up something now to head down this track. Maybe it requires a lot of effort. Maybe it requires money. You have to commit finances to something to head down this track. It's going to commit a lot of time. It's going to head down a particular route. And you're really not sure whether if you take this decision it's going to be a good thing or not. There's risk. There's, there's uncertainty about what direction you should take at this point in your life. And the truth is that life is full of decisions like this. As a pastor, quite often I have people coming to see me because they've got major life decisions and they want to talk it out with me. One of the big decisions in life is, who are you going to marry? I got married in my early 20s, uh, about 20 years ago. And one thing I observe today is that increasingly I'm, I'm seeing men in their early 30s and late 30s even, and, and they are agonizing over the decision whether they should get married or not. Uh, they have been in a relationship with this woman for three years, five years maybe, and they are anxious about whether they, 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 they should commit to marriage. And they're asking questions like, well, am I, am I going to be a good enough husband? Um, you know, sometimes we argue, and what, what if it's a difficult marriage? What, what if it's a, you know, it doesn't work out? And in the back of their minds, quite often, there's also a thought is, well, you know, I I love her and we're we're great friends, but what if the perfect woman is just around the corner and I've not met her yet? And if I commit to this woman, uh, when the perfect one comes, I I will have missed my chance. And so they're agonizing about this decision. Life's full of big decisions like this. So what does God have to say to us? Well, please open your Bibles to uh, the book of Ecclesiastes. And if you don't have a Bible with you, uh, grab one of the red uh, Bibles, and you can find it on page 676 in the church Bibles. Page 676. 
Ecclesiastes chapter 11, page 676. Cast your bread upon the waters, for after many days you will find it again. Give portions to seven, yes to eight, for you do not know what disaster may come upon the land. If clouds are full of water, they pour rain upon the earth. Whether a tree falls to the south or to the north, in the place where it falls, there will it lie. Whoever watches the wind will not plant. Whoever looks at the clouds will not reap. As you do not know the path of the wind or how the body is formed in a mother's womb, so you cannot understand the work of God, the maker of all things. Sow your seed in the morning. And at evening, let not your hands be idle, for you do not know which will succeed, whether this or that, or whether both will do equally well. Light is sweet, and it pleases the eyes to see the sun. However many years a man may live, let him enjoy them all. But let him remember the days of darkness, for they will be many. Everything to come is meaningless. Be happy, young man, while you are young, and let your heart give you joy in the days of your youth. Follow the ways of your heart and whatever your eyes see, but know that for all these things God will bring you to judgment. So then banish anxiety from your heart and cast off the troubles of your body, for youth and vigor are meaningless. Remember your Creator in the days of your youth, before the days of trouble come. And the years approach when you will say, I find no pleasure in them. Before the sun and the light and the moon and the stars grow dark and the clouds return after the rain. When the keepers of the house tremble and the strong men stoop. When the grinders cease because they are few and those looking through the windows grow dim. When the doors to the streets are closed and the sound of grinding fades. When men rise up at the sound of birds, but all their songs grow faint. When men are afraid of heights and of dangers in the streets. When the almond tree blossoms and the grasshopper drags himself along and desire no longer is stirred. Then man goes to his eternal home and mourners go about the streets. Remember him before the silver cord is severed or the golden bowl is broken. Before the pitcher is shattered at the spring or the wheel broken at the well and the dust returns to the ground it came from and the spirit returns to God who gave it. Meaningless, meaningless, says the teacher. Everything is meaningless. This is our last sermon in the series of Ecclesiastes. And I know that some of you will be saying, oh, I'm so disappointed. And I know some of you are saying, what a relief. I, I, I've really struggled with this series. I've wondered why you've taken so long on it, Pastor Paul. And I think part of the challenge is how uh, the NIV translators have chosen to uh, translate the Hebrew word uh, into this word meaningless. The problem with the word meaningless is as we hear the word meaningless, what are we thinking? We're thinking, well, life is pointless. That's what we're hearing, isn't it? Uh, That's what meaningless implies to us. Well, life is is pointless. But you know what? That is not 
what the teacher from Ecclesiastes wants us to understand. There is another way that you could, can, you could translate this, this Hebrew word. And it could be translated, if you remember earlier in the series, the, as the concept of vapor or breath. And so uh, we're starting to get some chilly mornings, aren't we? As we head out the door, you notice you can see your breath. Uh, you know, it, it's cold enough that you, the moisture in your breath condenses into a cloud in front of you. And the whole point about that little cloud is it's there for a second, two seconds, and then it is gone. And that is the point that the teacher is wanting to impress upon us. It is how transient, how temporary life is. Things that are in short supply are actually very precious. And that is the point that the teacher wants us to grasp. Not the pointlessness of life, but its preciousness. It is so brief. It is there, you try and grab hold of it, and it is gone. Life is incredibly precious. This is not a depressing book. This is a book to waken us up, to make the most of the life that God has given us. And I want us to see that in, in three sections in our reading today. Uh, firstly, uh, in the first section of chapter 11, verse 1 to 6, is as if he asks us a bunch of questions. Uh, verse 2, do you know what disaster may come upon the land? Well, do you know? Do you know what disaster may come into Scotland next year? Uh, did you see the banking crisis hap uh, come? Did you, did you know that was coming? Uh, did you know um, about the ash trees and the fungus? Did you, did you know that was coming? Do you know what's going to happen next year in Scotland? What disaster may come upon us? No, we, we, we don't know. Uh, look at verse 5. Uh, do you know the path of the wind? You know, when that hurricane was going to hit America, did you know where it was going to go as it went across America? Do you know if there's going to be 100 mile an hour winds next week? Do you know where it's going to hit? Aberdeen, Perth, Glasgow. Do you know? No, we don't know. Do you know, uh, verse 5, how the body is formed in the mother's womb? Uh, most of us haven't got a clue. You know, just we see, a, see a, a woman's tummy get bigger and bigger and bigger, and then she's holding a baby. And even if you studied some embryology, it is an amazing thing to see how does these cells divide and form organs and the way that organs move around in the body to get to the right place. The miracle is that so many babies come out healthy. We don't know. Or, or verse uh, 6, do you know uh, which plan will succeed and which plan will fade? fail? No, most of us do not know. So what response should we have? I mean, what is he saying? He's saying life is what? It's uncertain. Life is uncertain, so what? So be adventurous, says the teacher. Life is uncertain, so be adventurous. Look at verse 1. Cast your bread upon the waters, for after many days you'll find it again. He is not the patron saint of feeding ducks in the park. This is... Most commentators see this as somebody, in a sense, investing something of their daily income into buying some goods, putting it on a trading ship that heads away where you hope it'll land safely on some other country 
sell your goods at a profit, and when the boat comes back, uh, you make some money. Cast your bread upon the waters, for after many days you'll find it again. Life is uncertain, so be adventurous. Be prudent, verse 2. Give portions to seven, yes to eight. You don't know when disaster will happen. Most of independent financial advisors will tell you, spread your risk. Don't put all your eggs in one basket. Don't invest in just one thing. You don't know what's going to work and what's not going to work. Spread whatever income you have into various options. There are certain things in life that are certain. If clouds are full of water, they pour forth rain on the earth. Verse 3, certain things are inexplicable. Whether tree falls to the south or to the north, in the place where it falls, there it will lie. The approach that we should not have is sit still and wait for perfect conditions. Do nothing until we know that something is absolutely certain. Do you know what? If something is absolutely certain, it's not a decision, is it? The nature of decisions is that you really don't know. Is this a good way? I'm not sure. I'm not certain. Is this a good I don't know. Verse 4, he's saying, don't procrastinate. Whoever watches the wind will not plant. Whoever looks at the clouds will not reap. Now, we, we know this in Scotland. If you, if you are waiting for the perfect day to go and walk in, in the hills of the Pentlands, uh, how many days are you going to go out? If you look out the window and say, oh, it's cloudy, I, I don't know, it could rain, shall I go for a walk? You will never go for a walk. You'll never have that joy of seeing the clouds part and the sun come down. Of course, you can go out on a sunny day and the clouds come over and the rain comes down. But he's saying, don't procrastinate. Go for it. Go for it. Life is uncertain, yes, that's the reality. We do not know what God is doing exactly in the world. Verse 5, you cannot understand the work of God, the maker of all things. He hasn't told us exactly in advance all that's going to happen. We've been reflecting on this very uncertainty as we think about soldiers being deployed in Afghanistan. We don't know what it's going to mean for them. Is it going to mean the loss of limbs? Is it going to mean the loss of life? We don't know. We don't know the plan of God and how he is working things out. It is mysterious to us, his providence. But the thing to do is to go for it. Don't procrastinate. Go for it. You know, as Christians, we understand this. The nature of the Christian life is to step out in the adventure of faith. Remember what Jesus said, calling out to the disciples, uh, to the crowds? Next slide, please, David. If anyone would come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. Do you know what it means to follow Christ? Do you know what he'll ask of you to deny self and be willing to embrace death as you take up the cross and follow him? None of us knows exactly what that means. But Jesus puts it this way. Whoever wants to save his life, be risk adverse, well, in the end, if they risk going with Christ, will lose it. But whoever is willing to lose his life for me, Jesus says, and for the gospel, will save it. To start the Christian life is to very much understand this. Life is uncertain, but I'd rather have it with Jesus. There may be losses, 
but in reality, I will gain life and gain Christ. Secondarily, let's think about the next point in, in, in chapter 11, verse 7 to 10. What he's saying here is, is life is, is good. Look at verse 7. Light is sweet and it pleases the eyes to see the sun. Who was happy to see the sun today? Wasn't that a beautiful thing? Looking out the window. We know how precious it is to see the sun in Scotland, don't we? Especially as we head to December the 15th. We hardly see the sun all day. You're in work inside. And to see the sun, it is a joy. So we take holidays in the south of France, isn't it? We appreciate the sun. Verse 8, however many years a man may live, let him enjoy them all. Life is good, so enjoy it. Enjoy it. We know that life is bittersweet. He goes on to say that. But let him remember the days of darkness, for they will be many. This is the reality of, of life, isn't it? It is bittersweet. And when life is bitter, remember that sweet days will come. It's, it, 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 you will not live constantly in the darkness. And when life is sweet, remember this, the dark days will come. So when life is good, embrace it. Enjoy it. Grab hold of it, says the teacher. It is a gift from God. And particularly, I want to speak to the young people here because that's what the Ecclesiastes does. Verse 9, be happy, young man. Rejoice while you are young. When children are sort of five or six, they'll skip around their house singing songs off the top of heads. They enjoy life, not a care in the world. Somehow in the teenagers, it becomes cool to look sullen and miserable. And some guys want to wear gothic clothes. It's not very Christian. The teacher of the Ecclesiastes says, young person, while you're young, you have health and strength in your body. You have gifts to develop. You have life to enjoy. You have a wonderful creator who's given you food and clothes and, 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 and love and, and friendships. Enjoy it all. Re- enjoy it. Remember it. Go for it. Follow the ways of your heart, he says in verse 9. And whatever your eyes see, but know that for all these things, God will bring you to judgment. Now, it sounded like he was getting really exciting. And then it sounds like he's throwing a bucket of cold water over us, doesn't he? But that's not his point. To remind us that God uh, will be our judge is to remind us that our lives are accountable. There are responsible ways that we can really enjoy and embrace this life. And he wants to save us from going down routes where we misuse and exploit the things of this life, which will actually take us to misery, pain, and shame. And God's judgment. Uh, silly example. Uh, it, it might well be really good fun driving 120 miles an hour down the motorway. But the truth is it's very reckless for yourself and to others. And it's, and it's not that much fun when you see the blue light behind you. Go 70 miles down the highway, you can wave at all the policemen. Hi. Enjoying the road. The Creator has given us this life to enjoy. He directs us by His Word, as it were, the curbs that we want to stay within, and you can richly enjoy this life. Young people, there are so many legitimate, joyful pleasures that God has given to us. And while you're young, Go for it. Don't be anxious, verse 10. Banish anxiety from your heart. Don't be anxious. Go for it. 
Enjoy all the blessings that God has given us. Go for it. Thirdly, he reminds us in chapter 12 that life is terminal. So remember your Creator. Remember your Creator in the days of your youth, before the days of trouble come, and the years approach when you will say, I find no pleasure in them. And in a sort of a poetic form, he gives a picture, as it were, of an um, aging house, an old house. And, and it's facing an encroaching storm that's coming over it. And this decaying house is actually a, a, a picture of old age. Now, I, I just thought this was humorous when I used to read this as a young man. It's not such a joke now. I, I, I am reading what I'm ex- beginning to experience, and, and there are older members here who can vouch for the reality of this. But uh, verse, verse 3, when the keepers of the house tremble, you know, the hands begin to shake. When the, when the strong men stoop, the legs are beginning to go and bend and bow. When the grinders cease, because they are few, the, the teeth that you've worn down all your life, and actually there's less of them because you've, you've lost quite a few. All the dentists are smiling. And those looking through the windows grow dim. Your, your eyesight is failing. When the doors to the streets are closed and the sound of grinding fades, you, your hearing goes. When men rise up at the sound of birds, there you are, you think you've got no kids, you're going to sleep all through the night. No, you, as a man, you wake up in the middle of the night, you can hear the birds singing, you've got things to do. But all their songs grow faint, but you can't really hear like you used to. When men are afraid of heights and and dangers in the streets, you're scared about winter. You're scared about the icy streets because you know you could fall and break your hip or bang your head. When the almond tree blossoms, your hair goes all white. And the grasshopper drags himself along and desire no longer is stirred. All your appetites are diminished You can't taste the way you used to taste. You can't enjoy things the way you used to enjoy them. All these are signs that man is going to his eternal home. That mourners will soon be going about the streets. And young people, this is directed specifically at you. While you have life and strength and vigor, remember your creator in the days of your youth. Before those days of trouble come. There are things that you can do at this stage in your life that you will not be able to do when you're old and crumbling. And the older saints here will tell you, it's true. Remember your creator is to remember that this life that you have is a gift from God. He created you. He gave you unique gifts, abilities, talents, a personality. And he did it so that you would glorify him. He did it that you would live for his praise and his glory. Remember your creator. Before it is too late, go for it. The choices that you make as a young person will often set the course of your life. And the the truth is, it is a remarkable thing when an older person in their 50s or 60s or 70s come to faith in Christ. 
So many things have hardened in their thinking. Their life is in ruts. So remember your creator in the days of your youth. Because life is terminal. John Donne uh, was a 16th century pastor and a poet. And uh, he bought a coffin and put it in his bedroom. And every now and again he used to sleep in it. Now that's a bit extreme. That's a bit extreme. But the teachers kept reminding us, better to go to the house of mourning than the house of feasting. Because it reminds us that life is short. It is so precious. It'll go so quickly. So grab hold of life now for God's glory. Go for it. Go for it. Of course, the, the teacher in the book of Ecclesiastes only sees life going up to the grave. Verse 6, he, he has this image of, the, of, a, of a, like an oil lamp, a golden bowl full of oil with maybe a silver chain. And, and he says, well, in the silver cord, it snaps and the bowl drops and the oil flows out and the, and the candle goes out, the light goes out. Or when the, the spring that brings up life is broken and no longer can, then your dust will return to the ground. It's the reversal of what God did in the garden. God created man from the dust of the ground and breathed into the dust and there was life. At the end of life, uh, the breath goes out and we, uh, who are basically moist dust, dry out and disintegrate into the soil. That's all he saw. He just saw life up to the graveside. Now we stand on the other side of that first Easter, don't we? We know, not only remember our Creator, but we remember that our Creator is our Savior. That the Creator entered into this world, took on human flesh, and went to do battle against sin, Satan, and death itself. He took on this crumbling humanity and went and died upon a cross to pay the penalty of our sin and experienced breathing his last. Why? So that we would not have to die without hope. We look back not at a, 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 a tomb in, in Jerusalem where people do tours and see the crumbling remains of, 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 of whatever left of bones in an ossuary that was Jesus. No, we look back at an empty tomb and a risen Savior. And that we know this Creator came to be our Savior. He came to deal with our sin problem for which we are suffering and dying and will experience death. We no longer need to experience the curse of death for Christ took that curse for us on the cross. Do you know that your creator is your savior? Have you turned to the Lord Jesus? Received his forgiveness? Received the offer of eternal life that he gives to all who will trust in him? It is freely available today. And I guess what Jesus would want to say to us today is this. Will you make the most of this life that I have given you? Will you make the most of this life 
that I have given you. Do you remember the parable of the talents? Jesus told this story of a, of a man who was going on a journey. And so he called his servants together to give them uh, his possessions. And to one servant he gave uh, five talents, which were sort of uh, uh, quite a significant sum of money. And to another he gave two talents, and to another he gave one talent, and off he went. Well, no sooner had he gone that the man with the five talents uh, took some risks and used that money, put it to work, and when the master came back, he was able to come before him and say, Look, master, uh, here's the five talents that you gave me, and here's another five which I have gained from uh, investing this money. And the master says, Well done. Good and faithful servant. And then the man with two talents, uh, he comes to him and says, well, master, I, I put this money to work. I've invested it. And, and guess what? I've got two more. Here's four talents. And the master says, well, well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful in small things. Here are some more significant things. And then the man with one talent comes to him and says, well, I know that you're a mean master. I know that you harvest where you don't plant. I, I know you gain where you don't do work. And I was afraid. And so I hid my talent in the ground. And here's your dirty money back. Nothing gained. And what does the master say? You wicked and lazy servant. You worthless servant. And Jesus tells that parable in the context of the reality that, that the Son of Man, that he will one day return again in glory. And the question is this, what will we do with the gifts and talents and abilities and life that God has given us? What will we do with those lives for the king? There will be a day of accounting for the king. What will we be able to show him with all that he's entrusted uh, to us? Two weeks ago, uh, a man I know in South Wales uh, called Dan Goweda died of a brain hemorrhage. He was 33 years old. Uh, married to Cat, four children. Uh, he was on the church staff team of Christchurch in Newport, Wales. And um, another friend of mine uh, called Di Hankey, he's a Welshman, can you tell? That's, that's a real name, Di Hankey. He wrote a long tribute, and in it he, he said this. I want to read it to you. Finally, as I've reflected on Dan's death, I have found myself grateful for the gift of life. Dan's death has revealed how much I take my life for granted and how fragile life truly is. In reality, every breath Every meal, every laugh, every sunset, every relationship, every discovery, and every moment is grace. One thing that has to be said of Dan's life is that he went for it, and he didn't let up. He didn't limp across the finish line. He sprinted across. God knew the course that he had set out for Dan, and praise God, he finished the race. He worshipped his saviour passionately, loved his wife faithfully, doted on his kids tenderly, served his church humbly, and cared for his community deeply. Dan lived life abundantly. 
I am devastated that he died so young. But his is not a story of a wasted life. Because it is not how long you live, but how well you live that determines whether or not your life was wasted. Dan lived his life abundantly to the very end. He lived a gospel-shaped life. and For that, he is my hero and a compelling example to us. Wouldn't you love for someone to be able to say that of you at your funeral? Let me ask you a question then of, of application for your life today. What adventurous risk is King Jesus asking you to make today? What adventurous risk is he asking you to make this day? Maybe it's to start following him. You've been investigating the Christian faith. You've been looking at his claims and you're on on the edge. And maybe you need to take that step of faith and start following King Jesus today for the very beginning. I don't know. Maybe it is asking that person to marry you. Life is so short. Even if it's tough, it'll be gone pretty quick and there's all eternity. Go for it. It could actually be really wonderful. It could be the best thing you've ever done with your life. Go for it. Maybe it's to sacrifice a safe job that you hate to do something that will really use your gifts. Maybe it is to stay in a tough situation where you're making a real difference. Because actually that's what's going to really last. What is he asking you to do? Go back to that agonizing decision. Have a look at it. What was it you're agonizing over? And here's my question. Which direction will enable you to make the most of your life for Jesus? So you think about that choice. Which direction will enable you to make the most of your life for Jesus? I'm going to give you a moment of silence to reflect on that. Before it's too late, remember your creator and go for it. Go for it. Our final hymn.